Welcome to The Pharmacist RN, a podcast made for pharmacists by pharmacists, hosted by John Papasturgio. John is a frontline community pharmacist owner, assistant professor at the School of Pharmacy at both the University of Toronto and the University of Waterloo, and an internationally recognized speaker, author, and researcher. Today's guest is Sherilyn Houle, assistant professor at the School of Pharmacy at the University of Waterloo, a member of OPEN, the Ontario Pharmacy Evidence Network, and an associate member of the Faculty of Travel Medicine at the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Glasgow. Sherilyn is an expert on pharmacist-provided care in travel health, immunizations, and anticoagulation. Her research focuses on ensuring the implementation and uptake of pharmacists and technicians' full scope into pharmacy practice and evaluating the resulting outcomes on patients and the health system. Sherilyn is also a holder of a certificate in travel health from the International Society of Travel Medicine and a recipient of the Wellspring Pharmacy Leadership Award from the Canadian Foundation for Pharmacy. Join John and Sherilyn for the first of two episodes focused on vaccination. In this episode, they discuss the important role of pharmacists in educating patients about vaccinations and improving adherence rates of multi-dose vaccines, also explaining the importance of public awareness and how government policies and pharmaceutical companies can support these initiatives. John and Sherilyn also describe specific opportunities to expand professional pharmacy services and revenue through providing travel consults and vaccinations. Pull up a seat and let's get started. We're here for another episode of The Pharmacists Are In. My name is John Papasturgio. Uh, it's always exciting to have a new guest uh, in studio. Today I have Sherilyn Houle from the University of Waterloo. And our topic is going to be immunization. I think, uh, welcome Sherilyn. Thank you. Yeah, I think this is uh, an important topic. I think it's one that pharmacists uh, have really hit out of the ballpark uh, with respect to the success that we've had with some of our uh, immunization uh, programs. but. Uh, before we get to that, tell me a little bit or tell the audience a little bit about yourself, um, you know, where you work, what you do. All right, so uh, right now I'm an assistant professor at the School of Pharmacy at the University of Waterloo. Um, m most of my teaching and research there is on pharmacists, you know, practicing to full scope, so immunizations is obviously a key part of that. Um, I also practice half a day a week in a travel medicine and immunizations clinic. It's associated with a family health team in Kitchener. So, you know, immunizations really is a focus of my research and my, my practice, and I have also worked in, in hospital and community practice in Alberta prior to moving here to Ontario. So yeah, you've got a, a broad kind yeah. of range of experience, which is great, especially, I mean, to be a pharmacist and in research. I mean, we have, you know, a group of us that do that. I kind of, I kind of include myself <laughs> into that bunch, but I know uh, Nancy yourself and that whole gang at the University of Waterloo has really been, uh, they've really been mentors to me, I think. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, um, a lot of the great work we're seeing, you know, in the profession is coming from the School of Pharmacy. Mm -hmm. It really is. I mean, the whole open open group, so U of T and Briere, and you know, all the the or all the the organizations associated with Open are really publishing the vast majority of the pharmacy practice research right now. It seems. And what? Tell me a, a little bit about what happened with Open, because I know Lisa mm. said that uh, maybe our funding's gone, or it is gone. It is, unfortunately. Yeah, we were given until mid July to wrap everything up. And as of then, the, the grant has done about a year and a little over a year and a half. It's early, really disappointing. So it right? is. Like it is. We, the amount of effort that was put in to get everyone yeah. organized, and I, 
I think, uh, you know, this Ford government, it's been surprising in some of the kind of the actions that they've taken. Mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, uh, they, they went after pharmacy pretty hard with the last set of reforms. And then kind of pretty much at the exact same time, we found out in the budget that uh, the open funding was gone. Yeah. But uh, that this doesn't mean the end for open. No, no, absolutely not. And the intention is definitely for us to still remain open for business, pardon the pun, but um, you know, the research isn't going to stop, it's just going to have to be funded through through different avenues and we're seeking out those other opportunities right now to keep that keep that momentum going. And we always did that as well, right? It wasn't just the open funding that we got from the no, government. I think course. all the researchers were getting their own funding as well. Oh right? yes, yeah, it's become quite a quite a pot of different funders that all support the open projects. Do you find pharma companies are uh, slowly looking at pharmacists for some of this money? I think, like mm -hmm. I've noticed a difference in the last few years oh, where yeah. they're giving us more money as pharmacists to do the work, right? Absolutely. I think they're starting to, especially in the immunizations field, recognize the impact that pharmacists can have on it and the, the fact that we have those conversations with patients who are maybe considering whether or not they need a vaccine. And so they want to make sure pharmacists are up to up to date not only with their knowledge but with their practice and yeah i'm noticing quite a few companies that are that are stepping forward and and offering research grants to to further develop that you know when i think of pharmacists and pharmacy as a whole we don't celebrate the things we do really well at i find yeah. and immunization has been one of those areas like we've really killed it when you look at flu and then even beyond flu mm -hmm. pharmacists are doing a great job and now we're almost doing as many flu shots as the physicians in ontario oh, i mean yeah. we're getting pretty close yeah um, it's exceeding it in alberta they're the primary right. providers yeah yeah i i, I mean i presented um, uh, we're doing some work at, at cfp around vaccination and we're you know we were able to pull from the shoppers drug mart network and see um i think our big finding and we're not done kind of analyzing uh uh, the data yet, but with a sample size of almost half a million patients, uh, mm -hmm. the longer pharmacists have been vaccinating, the better they do with uh, with respect to adherence rates in patients. And actually, they go well beyond what the physicians are able to achieve. So mm -hmm. I think uh, hopefully we'll get that published soon. But I think uh, patients trust us. We're accessible. Mm -hmm. It makes a lot of sense. I know from my practice, we got people coming in Saturday nights at 11 o'clock to get a flu shot. Or, yeah. You know, and that's, uh, I think there's a lot of value to that. Oh, there is. And there's opportunities that that pharmacists can provide for vaccination that are missed if we're not available. People that, you know, for example, some of the research we've done have found that, that patients who are more likely to be vaccinated by a pharmacist tend to be younger, working age population, usually those with younger children who maybe have older parents that they're caring for, kind of that that you know, sandwich generation of, of working adults and for them to take a half a day off work to go to a public health center or a physician's office is just not feasible and so pharmacies are really filling that gap, especially for that younger population. Yeah, it's funny when you say that, I, I think of a patient I saw probably a, a month ago and they came in on a Saturday with the whole family, they were traveling so they came in to get Twinrix and um, you know, we charge for injection fees, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, 20 bucks and mm -hmm. uh, she was so happy to pay. She's like, John, you don't understand. Uh, my husband has a different doctor. The kids have the pediatrician. I've got my own doctor. It literally would have taken us three separate days to go get vaccinated for this trip. And they're able mm -hmm. to kind of just come in with the script, uh, you know, on a Saturday afternoon, and they're all done in one shot, and that's it. Yeah. I mean, it's very convenient. And uh, I'm hearing that from a lot of pharmacists across the country is that almost all of them are charging for that administration fee, which I'm happy to see. It is a professional service that that we should be valuing. And so they're charging for it and patients are willing to pay. It's very rare that, that the patients opt out and say, no, I'd prefer to go elsewhere and wait in a waiting room for two hours to get this done. It's the acceptability of it in the patient size is really high. Yeah, those two areas that I find they're willing to pay is that, like immunization, mm -hmm. 
and uh, refill extensions. Oh, yes. You know, they, if, yeah. uh, we charge $15 uh, for the assessment, but they're like, hey, man, it's saving me a trip to the doctor. You it can is. do three months. It is. They're happy to do it. And I think pharmacists historically haven't been really good at selling their services. So they're, mm -hmm. you know, they're almost shy to, to, to ask to be paid for, for a service like that. And I find, I know uh, our penetration rate is still very low um, with respect to, of the number of vaccines that we dispense, mm -hmm. the percentage we inject is like 18 percent oh wow so there's a huge opportunity Absolutely. still yeah and and you know it, it's simply that pharmacists don't ask right yeah. so you get a script for Gardasil coming through um you're, instead of asking hey you want me to do it here it's 20 bucks to just dispense it give it to the patient patient doesn't know any better mm -hmm. they're, they're not even aware in many cases if we could uh we offer that service and then they go back to their doctor right yeah so i think that that could easily oh, be 50 percent. so yes you know, and that should be at the point of drop off that should be part of the conversation are exactly. you going to stick around and get this vaccinated right now because i can do it for you exactly and I, yeah. I mean we we you know we try to push the pharmacist to ask that question Still, it's a very busy in a community pharmacy, is, you know, yeah. and a lot of times they're refills and um, they don't even know. It gets bagged, fridge sticker on it, and that's it, right? Yeah. So the techs will pull it out of the fridge, uh, uh, charge the patient, and off they go. And they don't realize, hey, there's an opportunity here. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, as we centralize services, uh, and we're starting to see more and more of that. Compliance packs are gone. Refills will be gone soon. You know, we got to start asking what are these pharmacists going to be doing if they're not doing this type of stuff? Mm -hmm. uh, basically, like 70% of the scripts are going to be gone without a doubt from the community pharmacy. I mean, the pressures on us uh, to reduce the cost to fill are so so high that I, I think we, we really don't have another alternative. So I think pharmacists have to start thinking about, okay, I've got this time now. Mm -hmm. What am I going to do? Yeah. And immunization, I think, is part of it for sure. Oh, absolutely. And and like you were mentioning, that it's not only convenient for them to receive the injection at the time it's dispensed, but I'd also be very curious, I'm not aware of any research around this, about what proportion of the ones that are dispensed to be taken home are actually administered. How many? How often does it sit in the patient's fridge and it, potentially never never be administered yeah. or be stored outside of proper conditions? And, you know, like there's that, that public health benefit as well of having it done. Right, right at that side. opportunity that you have. And you're very right. We can't quantify that. So even in the kind of the, the, the paper we're working on, we're just assuming if they take it home, they're, they're, getting, they're it. getting it injected. But I think you're right. A majority of those, not a majority, but there's a percentage of those patients that uh, they take it home, forget about it, leave it in the fridge, and that's it. Yeah. Right? Um, so, Ty, you know, one of the things that we were talking about before we went on here, here was, you know, your work in travel clinics specifically. Mm -hmm. That's an area that's always interested me. We've never really... I think maybe because of the way the scope's laid out here in Ontario, I've never been able to successfully kind of get it off the ground, mm. right? So we offer immunization, but we don't specifically offer the consults. Uh, tell us a little bit about how that works and, and you know, your experience with it. Okay, so uh, the clinic that I work at, we've got a, a nice little team built up. We have the, uh, a nurse who goes in and does the initial education, does the initial um, collecting of the patient's history of where they're going, their vaccination records, things like that. And then we have either myself or one of the family physicians will then collate that information into actual recommendations and, and issue the order. So the the routine counseling is kind of done for us. I mean, it's that part's relatively straightforward, but we do have, you know, that, that nursing support and she's the one who ultimately administers the vaccine as well. So while we're in the background figuring out whether they're going to a malaria zone or not, that nurse can be doing other tasks, getting them updated. You know, tetanus boosters, very common. Lots of people aren't up to date on their tetanus, so mm -hmm. she'll do that while while we're figuring out the recommendations. So it is. it can be a time 
I think that, that what, what's important for pharmacists to know is that it, it does take time to do a proper travel consultation. Um, we're generally in at least half an hour. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, start to finish for everything. So, you know, it isn't as simple as going onto the CDC website and, and just using that as a checklist of everything the patient needs. It does need a fair amount of tailoring and a fair amount of, of clinical judgment. So, you know, it does, it does require a scheduled time. So I would encourage any pharmacist thinking of doing it to make sure it's done on an appointment basis. It's not really walk-in feasible. Can't do it on the fly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and do you, are most of the pharmacists that do this, do you think they're certified? Like I know there's that course that you could take or? There is, yeah. So I wrote the exam last fall. I did a, the course that the ISTM offers and I also went overseas to London for a week-long course there and wrote the exam. So that's how I kind of got myself okay. ready for it. And and I think that there's a, there's definitely a growing number of pharmacists that are doing it. Um, I was in touch with the the registrar of the International Society of Travel Medicine, and she said that the pharmacy profession is definitely the fastest growing membership okay. category in ISTM. So there's there's definitely interest in it. There's definitely you know a large degree of uptake. I think what a lot of that barrier is is that there isn't really structured training programs available for it. A lot of it is self-directed. Yeah. You know the exam. It is a challenging exam. I'm not going to lie. It was a it was a difficult one heard, to write. Yeah. So it takes a lot of preparation. It takes a lot of self study, and I think that's difficult for pharmacists to do when they are already working full time jobs and have family life outside. It's it can be a, a large commitment to take on, but I found and, it definitely worth it. And then I guess yeah, it's okay. So you do the training. Yeah. You, you know you start thinking of how I'm going to set this up. Mm -hmm. uh, you're committed to doing it. I guess is it promotion that's a big part of it because now you got to sell the service, right? Yeah, so you do. That's yeah. the part I don't get. Like, do you partner with a local doc or mm -hmm. are people coming? Because the challenge in Ontario is you can't write for every vaccine, right? Yeah. So you need yeah. a physician partner, I guess. Yes. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So lots of the pharmacists that do a fair number of travel consults do have that medical directive in place okay. to allow them to do it. Usually, they've identified a a physician or a nurse practitioner in the area who maybe doesn't want to take on travel consultations, who maybe doesn't feel they're okay. current enough, who maybe doesn't have the time in their day to dedicate to it, who will actually refer patients to. We have quite okay. a few models of very successful partnerships and referrals. But a lot of patients find out about it through word of mouth as well, from what I'm told. Like once you start offering it, what, yeah. people tell their friends who are traveling, sure. oh, go see John at his sure. pharmacy, he'll get you everything you need. And, and it really does kind of blossom from there, I think. It's just a matter of that public awareness that it's something we can offer. See, that's why I think we, you know, the legislation was limited. Uh, we were hoping that we'd be able to, I guess, prescribe vaccines uh, uh, in addition to being able to give the vaccine. And I, th I think there was a group of pharmacists and we're disappointed when we saw the way. I mean, mm -hmm. it was a big win for us uh, without a doubt, but it would have been nice to have the ability to, hey, you're going here, let's write these uh, scripts. And mm -hmm. some are schedule one, others are schedule two. Yeah. To be honest, I don't even know half the time. You got to look it up, right? <laughs> yes. And that's. Uh, I have it printed off on my desk <laughs> yeah. as well, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, uh, maybe, maybe one day that will change with some, yeah. you know, as we get more and more involved in immunization. I'm a new patient. I'm going to, uh, I don't know, somewhere in Europe. I sit down with you. So, what's the process? Uh, you know, you take a history, how does that all work? Okay, so um, at our clinic, we have a one-page, really quick history that we get the patient to fill in, just basically telling us the countries they're visiting, for how long, um, their general reason for going there, and then we list all of the health and medical conditions that can complicate their care a bit. So any chronic diseases maybe need to be managed a bit more carefully if they're diabetic, for example, and on insulin, that's a little bit tricky to adjust if someone's traveling in different time zones, for mm -hmm. example. Um, of course, any of the immunocompromising conditions, pregnancy, things like that. So we do a quick screen based on that. Um, and then 
go into the vaccination records, of course, we always ask them to bring in their, their paper copies, which is another issue we can talk about is paper-based record keeping for immunizations and how unreliable that sure. is. But we do ask them to bring that in and go through it as well as we can and, and try to figure out what they're behind on, even with their routine vaccinations as well. So not only looking at their travel-related needs, but their routine vaccinations as well. Okay. Again, let's take advantage of that opportunity. Sure. We have them there. They're willing to receive injections, obviously, if they're sure. at the clinic. So we, we kind of top them up on everything while they're there. Um, then the nurse goes through some of the more basic counseling points that are kind of applicable to almost everywhere. So she does food and water precaution counseling, um, insect bite prevention, general safety measures, for example, um, kind of reminding the patients that they tend to think that they need vaccinations and medications to stay safe abroad when actually the main cause of illness and injury abroad is motor vehicle accidents wow, okay. and worsening of chronic diseases. Sure. So, you know, reminding them that, that those are the things they need to watch out for. Sure. So there's that basic counseling that goes involved. And then that information, we take it and we, we look into more detail. What are they planning to do when they're there? Is it a place that's high altitude? Is it a place that has malaria? And then adjust from there. Wow, okay. So, I mean, it's pretty comprehensive. It can then, be, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do they, do, is there a fee for that? Like, we do, do they, charge, okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I believe it's, I think, $50 for an individual, $80 for a couple. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. so you charge yeah. the fee, and then whatever scripts they fill or vaccines, I mean, they would fill those normally, I guess. Then, yeah, right? well, well, my practice is actually out of a medical clinic. Oh, okay. So we have the vaccines on hand and charge pretty much cost. Like, there's okay. not really much of a markup just because that's not in the business model sure. of the, the medical clinic. But then any oral medications they take to get filled at their usual ah, pharmacy. The pharmacy. So, so their antibiotics for travelers' diarrhea, their altitude illness medications, antimalarials, those are done at the community pharmacy. Yeah, I mean, it would be great if we see more pharmacists getting involved in this because mm -hmm. I think it's a service that people need. Uh, you know, I wouldn't know where to start. I think I imagine many just go to their family doctor, right, yeah. and then get referred off. But yes. uh, something for the listeners, if you're if you're out there thinking about a, a you know a, a new service to offer, this is definitely something to mm -hmm. consider uh, for sure. Yeah, it's a it's a cash paying service. You're avoiding a lot of the you know, government maximums for what you can charge sure. and what you can't. It's a cash paying service. You've got additional sales of OTCs for, you know, insect repellent, sunscreen, gravel, Imodium, all of those things that are added. Do you find uh, most of the patients take the advice? They do. Yeah. Okay. They do. Yeah. So uh, we actually did a study out of Alberta, one of my one of my colleagues that, that runs a travel clinic there, and we actually surveyed them after they got back from their trip mm -hmm. and asked them, how many of these prescriptions did you actually fill? How many of these OTCs did you actually buy? And the adherence rate was well over 85%. Oh, wow, okay. So, yeah, they did yeah. the advice then, for Yeah, sure. they do. I guess if you're traveling, you're, you know, you're, you're investing in the trip and whatnot, mm -hmm. uh, I think people want to avoid getting sick, and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, they're probably going to take the advice for sure. So, I mean, yeah, it's something I'm going to consider, I think. I mean, kind of I've got my hands full trying all these different things, but, I, yeah. you know, I, I really see where the profession is going, and... Uh, um, we're, we're looking, I think, for more services to offer. It's, uh, I think, in the next 10 years, I mean, this is what we're going to be doing for the most part. And uh, um, it's almost like a slow evolution. You try something, if it works or it doesn't work. But kind of where I practice, I think it would be a home run if we're able to kind of get the pharmacists on board and whatnot. And there's different levels of involvement that a pharmacy can have, too. I mean, some pharmacies will only do relatively low-risk Sure. locations right they won't do a, a safari to africa okay. but they will do a trip to an all-inclusive in mexico for okay, example sure, right yeah. you can start small like that and then as your knowledge base grows expand outward and i think informally a lot of pharmacists are doing that already you yeah know, you get patients absolutely. coming in right um and uh 
you know, they'll, they'll be, hey, I'm going here, by the way, yeah. what should I do? And they're, you know, kind of ad hoc giving advice, uh, you know, around bites and, you know, traveler's diarrhea and whatnot. Uh, but they're not charging for it, probably, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, they're not charging <laughs> no, for it, for sure. No. And, uh, I mean, with minor ailment prescribing coming, that's kind of another uh, area we haven't really talked about, but it's going to be an opportunity. Maybe some of these conditions will be included. I don't know if traveler's diarrhea is going to be in there, but mm -hmm. uh, I think we're all eagerly awaiting to see, you know, what's the opportunity for pharmacists going to be. And I think, again, the... Uh, the the government did say we're going to be reimbursed for it which is kind of a win right yeah yeah so i mean not to change gears but uh, uh you know i'm always interested kind of in, in in what you're doing but on the research side this is i know i think uh, a passion of mine and i know uh, you're very active obviously in that area um, what are you working on now oh gosh what am i working <laughs> on now so a couple projects mm -hmm. related to to immunizations um we just did a, we just published a paper actually that kind of similar to the work that you're doing using the Shoppers Drug Mart data to look at adherence. And we, we instead used administrative data for all people that live in Alberta. And we looked at how, who was receiving a, a vaccine for a travel related condition that has more than one dose to complete the regimen okay. and looking at their adherence over time. Of course, those weren't necessarily vaccinations that the pharmacist administered, but what we did is we correlated the proportion of those patients who actually finished the series with the proportion of pharmacists in Alberta who were authorized to prescribe, assuming that that added convenience would add to the the compliance or sure. the completion of that regimen. So we did a, did a study like that. We did see statistically significant associations with it. They, they weren't large. I think that identifies an area for improvement that okay. we have room to improve with our reminder systems and booking appointments in advance for the next injection and things like that. I think there's a few actionable items that, that came out of that. So we did some research on that. Um, we're in the process of doing a curricular review of what our pharmacy students are being taught across Canada related to okay. travel medicine topics. Uh, and I think that we've got most of the data in so far and I think what, what a lot of the universities and us as well are finding is that we may think that pharmacists are not being taught travel medicine but they really are. Okay. It's just these topics are embedded within other, other courses. Areas. Right, so our self-care OTC courses, mm -hmm. take care of insects, take care of sunscreen, take care of sure. motion sickness, right? Our infectious disease courses take care of hepatitis, sure. you know, so so I think it's just a matter of letting our students know that you are graduating with this knowledge, you just may not recognize it. And I think where we need to grow further as educators is getting people familiar with the process of doing a consult, because obviously having the knowledge and applying it can be very different very things. Different, sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think it's funny because the in, in Ontario anyways, but actually all across Canada, the pharmacy research community is pretty small. Yeah. Like everyone knows everyone. <laughs> it is, it is. And, and it's very collaborative. I've never felt like... You know, it was competitive in any way. It's like, I mean, maybe it's my perspective of it as like someone, you know, dabbling it, uh, in research out of the community. But I find everyone's been very, very helpful, uh, eager to give advice, uh, you know, kind of steer us in the right direction. So that, for me, has been a really rewarding part of my career, getting to meet everyone that's doing this great work and, and see how helpful they are. Yeah, and, and I definitely agree with you. I, I, you know, I feel the same way that we're, we're a small, tight-knit family essentially sure. that I know I can call up on any of them for advice on something and I'm going to get great advice and great mentorship and I think it's because we all have all of us are pharmacists we're all mm. members of the profession first and we're researchers second sure. so we all have the same common goal in mind of wanting to do research that advances the profession and that kind of comes before any personal That's recognition right. or personal benefit so the people that are doing it now really are doing it for for the profession. Yeah, that's, and that's great to hear. I mean, I, I remember early on uh, kind of starting and uh, 
um, I would just do whatever. Like I literally wouldn't follow any of the rules. I was like, <laughs> like in my silo. And then, you know, I met Nancy and Nancy's like, John, you're doing great work, but you got to start following some of the rules. We got to get ethics. And then mm -hmm. Ross would like sneak some of my papers through early on. And then he's like, this is the last one from now on. You've got <laughs> you've got to get ethics and this and that. So, I mean, the quality of kind of the work we're doing is improved dramatically because of all the influence of everyone kind of at the universities and mm -hmm. and it's allowed us to expand way beyond kind of even Canada now where we're getting interest in our work from kind of all over right which is I mean that's our ultimate goal I guess absolutely I know uh, you know tra you know tra traveling a lot uh, at conferences and whatnot um, other countries look at Canada as kind of the benchmark right so what are you guys doing um, how could you how could we improve and I'm, I'm sure you get a lot of that too with all your speaking yeah yeah and I get you know after after giving a talk you get you know emails from people asking can you give me more information on how yeah. this works and you know I I've gotten that. messages from a number of different countries wanting to model what we're doing here yep. so so I think we've got something great going here and I'm glad to hear that we're getting some of that recognition yeah. for the work I, it reminds me of a time I was in uh, I was in Venice I think and they had a little immunization summit and they invited people from all over the world that, you know, in some countries were vaccinating, others weren't, but the idea was to like push the whole profession forward globally, right? And uh, there was someone from FIP there that was kind of coordinating the session and said, okay, so who in the room, in which of these countries do, P do the pharmacists actually vaccinate? So we, I put up my hand, the Americans, some European countries, and then there's this guy from Greece, he puts up his hand, right? And uh, the, uh, the person from FIP goes, well, you, you guys don't immunize, you don't have the scope. He's like, yeah, we do. He goes, we give like 90% of the vaccines. Never documented, no formal training, nothing. The pharmacist just kind of took it on because oh. uh, physicians, especially in the rural areas, are so scarce that if the pharmacists aren't doing it, people aren't going to get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So they, like, I mean, it's not even documented anywhere, but people are going to their community pharmacists to get vaccinated. I thought that was so funny. I think FIPS trying to put out a white paper uh, probably a year and a half ago now but trying to even just quantify like who's doing what globally because a lot of times we don't even know as a profession. Yeah, and there isn't a lot of people publishing on the topic either. No. So there's there could be things like this going on at individual pharmacies that, that nobody really knows about. So yeah, that would be a very interesting report to see. Yeah, no, so I mean, wow. thanks so much for coming in today. I think, uh, you know, these these podcasts are always intended to be, sure, I could go on all day actually on these topics, <laughs> but uh, hopefully we gave, uh, you know, some insight to people that are hoping or, or you know, want to do uh, travel vaccines kind of in their in their pharmacies. Uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, you're pretty accessible. If anyone has any questions, they can shoot you an email. And, Absolutely, uh, Maybe yes. go from there. Yes, I'm happy to chat with any practitioners who are wanting to evaluate what they're doing in their practice. If you need a hand, reach out. Okay, thanks so much. All right, my pleasure. This podcast was brought to you by OPEN, the Ontario Pharmacy Evidence Network with support from the GSK Independent Medical Education Grant, which helps education experts and healthcare professionals to collaborate and innovate with the ultimate aim of identifying and closing healthcare gaps.